0: This episode is brought to you uninterrupted by Clockshelves Entertainment's Content Club. We are making our way through season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer here on Buffyverse and Converse, and you may or may not know that already over on Content Club you could have gotten all of these episodes early and uninterrupted, but you may also be or not be aware that we are just about through the end of season two. As you're listening to this, we have a good chunk of season two available, early and uninterrupted, as well as early and uninterrupted episodes of Polynol, MCU and Me, RAW, reflecting and analyzing wrestling, our co-production with Renegade Pop Culture, and much more going on over at content club that's patreon.com slash clockshelves check it out it is very minimal to support us it helps keep the mics and lights on and it is your hub so go sub for all of the latest content here from clockshelves entertainment that is content club over on patreon.com slash clockshelves
1: and welcome to another edition of buffy verse and converse we are talking the season one finale today prophecy girl as always i am paul casey and i am delighted to be joined by some of the recurring guests for this season season one in no particular order we have bill kava kiona tang james jim apparently lo and lisa qualia welcome back to the show everyone say hello hey there hello hey howdy all right welcome back everyone i'm so glad we could all uh, be here for this finale um i know that uh i'm obviously season one has been building to this um when it comes to buffy the vampire slayer of course myself kiona and lisa have seen the show countless times james and bill are new So um, before we get into getting any reactions, which is normally what I do, I'm going to first dive into my four fantastic facts, and then we can get into uh, sort of our feelings on the episode, because I know not long before we started, there was a little bit of talk of uh some some very strong feelings. So I definitely want to get into that. But let me first go into my four fantastic facts for the episode Prophecy Girl. Um Fact number one, filming for this episode actually included re-filming scenes for the first few episodes Um, in the commentary to I believe it was this one. It was either this one or the pilot. Um, Joss Whedon, the writer, executive producer of the show, even commented that he joked with Sarah Michelle Gellar that at some point they were going to pull a Back to the Future 2 uh, because there were scenes in the library, for example, that they were being filmed for the pilot or second episode that they actually filmed during production of the finale and that one day he would bring it all back around so she was watching herself do those scenes so it would sort of be a back to the future 2 type of thing Um, and the actual uh recording of this episode and all the episodes were actually done before the first episode even aired thus giving this the uh idea of a series finale in case it it wasn't renewed. Uh, fantastic fact number two. The dress that Buffy wears that everyone comments on was actually kept by Sarah Michelle Geller, as she revealed some time ago when she posted a picture of herself wearing it. Um <laughs> I'm sure Kiona, you remember that. <laughs> I do. Yes. Yeah. Um Fact number three, the Hellmouth demon featured at the end was actually created by an effects company called Optic Nerve, and each uh, tentacle is being operated by a human as opposed to the whole creature being CGI due to budgetary reasons. And fact number four, kind of a spoiler for how the episode goes, but of course, if you're listening to this, hopefully you've watched the episode already. The master's bones, unlike other vampires in the series, don't turn to dust. Now, of course, that, that does give a big spoiler if you haven't watched the episode. But seeing as we all have, uh, James and Bill, considering this is your first time watching the show, and I feel you both are going to have strong feelings on this, what did we think of the finale? I'll
2: let Bill go first. Yeah, because I'll be quick, cause I'll let you take the, uh, the most of it. Um, first off, I, it was such a... I watched it twice just to make sure the first time I wasn't, you know, crazy. It was such <laughs> like a, a somber kind of episode, like, throughout. Like, I felt it was, everybody was like, blah, blah. It was just so low. Everything was low-key, it seemed like. Like, I, I can't explain the feeling. It was like somber music in the background. I know they said, you know, Buffer, you're going to die. So I guess that's what, you know. That's why the mood was the way it was, but it was such a samba mood throughout. And then the climactic scene was so anticlimactic. It was just like the, this was the big baddie for 12 episodes, I guess. And I'm just gonna toss them over my shoulder. Boom, show's over, season's over. <laughs> and, and that was it. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, it was very, um, yeah, not so good a lot.
3: So in agreement with Bill, uh- doing a follow-up uh i agree with a lot of what he said uh as the episode progressed um and i was like more so watching slash listening because like i i had like some last minute errands to run and it was like and right when i was watching it but um it it did look like a very like before even we knew she was gonna die you kind of felt like something bad was gonna happen just by giles mannerisms and like his like delayed reactions to like everything and like you know wearing the same clothes for days. So you kinda like foreshadowed him and seemed like all right, something's gonna happen to Buffy or something bad is going to happen in general.
4: Yeah, he um, was he was disheveled in this episode, I must say.
3: Very. Yeah. Very and uh, adding on to that, um it was very like I didn't like how she like rejected I can't remember his name, Xander. She rejected him. And then like, when she realized she was going to die, like she was like going to try to call him like, or she's going to try to like reconcile to like still maybe like go to the dance before she like kind of manned up and was like, I'm going to fight the master. And I'm like, you don't get like life isn't like second chances. It's like, you know, if you really like him, you should have said yes. But I will say I did like the fact that Willow told him no. No. Because like it showed that like, she wasn't like just desperate for him. Um, but leading up and everything to like the the quote unquote horde of vampires, and the tentacle monster and the master, um, across those three things, I feel like the horde of vampires. Granted, whether they were like young vamps or they were old and they just you know came to the master's aid. I feel like they kind of, like, quote, unquote, delayed and or held them back fairly easily for it to be, like, that many vampires. I feel like it should have been a little bit more, like, tense, their fight with them. Um, The tentacle monster, I mean, I guess it's, like, I get, like, how the age of the show, and as Paul, you know, mentioned with, like, the, like, how it had to be operated individually. It didn't give me, like, that, like... It's the word I'm looking for, like that excitement or like that thrill of, like, all right, you know, Giles is fighting this monster, like, you know, what's
2: gonna happen? I was waiting for the breakout in song. I thought it was Little Shop of Horrors. Is oh that my god, I was doing the same thing.
3: I was like, this thing looks like he's gonna say, "Feed me, Giles." Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. Okay, awesome. So, it was it was very yes, Little Shop of Horror esque. And adding on to what Bill said, it was super like anticlimactic. I wish this was like a two parter. And Buffy got to like die a little bit and like stay dead for a little bit longer. Like, I feel like she was like dead for like 10 seconds and like he did CPR and she's like, all right, I'm back. Like, prophecy fulfilled. I technically did die, but I'm here now. And like, you know, it just, I wish there was a little bit more to it. You know, like, uh, as Lisa, this is the first time her and I are interacting on this together. But as the series progressed and I was here for at least a good, I would say six plus episodes, I may have missed three or four episodes. Um, but collectively as like the season progressed uh, and I've done the podcast, I've mentioned like the comparisons because I do enjoy the supernatural to a degree, um, vampires, uh, werewolves, and you know, witches, if they're included, et cetera. And although like again i, I got to take this with like a grain of salt because like you know when it came out
1: the yeah, the 1900s we know
3: <laughs> they came out in the <laughs> 1900s <laughs> and <laughs> and like the budgets for everything like was very low because i, I it was the first season and they probably didn't like assume it was going to go as well as what it did but i just expected just so much more of like the climactic fight you know and I will say I have a bitter taste in my mouth like I wanted more.
4: The I whole to... time the, the whole yes. time that, that you and I have interacted on this podcast, uh, James, I've I've always been sitting here going like, Oh my god, when he gets the prophecy girl, I don't know what he's gonna <laughs> think.
1: I'm I'm not gonna lie, Kyoto. I've been because and I, you and I have not talked about this and James and I don't talk because, uh, well, I mean, we talk obviously, but um, for the most part, unless it's just me saying like, hey, did you watch it or whatever? We don't talk about Buffy because he knows that I would much rather save it for the podcast. And I have not said anything to you, but I feel like you and I have sort of been on this this same wavelength where every episode that he's been on, he's been <laughs> saying like, Well, he's been. There's two consistent things, and tell me if I'm wrong, but there's been pretty Mm. much two consistent things. Each Mm -hmm. thing is, I wish this was a two parter because Mm -hmm. he keeps wanting more with the villains, which is not a bad thing. But the other thing is, I can't wait to see when she finally goes toe to toe with the master. And in my head, I'm like, oh.
4: I'm like, i i'm sitting here like oh my god that's gonna be so disappointing
1: and it's like i kind of like i'm
3: like you guys like i'm a little like disappointed in you guys i'm like you guys knew like i was gonna be let down <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys like, you were but walking we couldn't into
4: just spoil it for you we couldn't
3: i know like this it's a genuine reaction it's perfect for the yeah. podcast like yeah i'm just like what is this like I, as I, this is probably like a third thing that like I do, I, I I'll compare it to something else I've seen um, when I watch Buffy. So when I think of the master and like the, such the build up to like him being like this big, bad vampire in my mind, I began to like scatter and search. like, all right, who's like a boss vampire. So my first thought process was like, all right, uh, Dracula from the movie Van Helsing. He was like a big, bad vampire who lived like super long and very powerful. So I was like, okay, the master and him in my mind, I'm gonna I'm gonna place them on the same like pedestals of like boss vampires, and then when I think of the fight with uh Van uh, Van Helsing, Hugh Jackman tried like the cross, the stake, um, various other things that would normally kill any regular vampire, but because Dracula was is such like a high level vampire, none of those things worked. So in my mind, I was really thinking like, all right, what is, or what's the weapon she's going to obtain, or is there like a specific spell she's going to like learn or something that's going to like help her defeat the master, but for him to just be like kicked and like he falls on the stake and then like dies, I'm just like, that's it? (laughs) Like there wasn't any like special like weapon or spell or item or any particular like again doing my comparison mentally uh that dracula could only be killed by a werewolf so it was ideal that van helsing was bitten by one because at the end the fight scene was very very intense and i loved it so when i'm watching this i mean if you haven't seen that movie (laughs) that came out like almost 20 years ago i'm sorry (laughs) um But no, I'm just like, all right, so like, what is Buffy gonna do? Like, I'm sitting here, I'm like watching, I'm also cooking my food. So, like, my food's practically burning. So, I'm like, all right, how is this fight gonna turn out? And I'm just like, he falls on a spike and died? And like, I I really like sat there and like, I left my bacon in the pot, like, still cooking, like,
2: and I'm watching.
3: And I'm Ah. like, so like, is he gonna like come back? Is he like, aha, like, as you mentioned, the skeleton didn't disintegrate. So, I was like, is a skeleton gonna like you know if,
1: pop? If up James or... wrote, if James wrote a blog, it would be titled "Buffy ruined my bacon."
3: <laughs> my e- expectation was like you know maybe some of like the creatures that we saw from like the previous episodes were like come and help at the end like and that's why I kind of hope it was like a two parter because it would have been cool like you know she dies but then like you know the puppet guy comes back or you know angel like really like flexes his strength um maybe the dream kid pops in like you know i learned how to like harness this power because like you know the Hellmouth mouth pr- is open you know and like strange things happen on the Hellmouth, so it's it wouldn't be too odd that he could use his powers again um but as i was continuing adding on to that i was also saying like because like i can like on, on hulu you can see like you know season two episode one is like up next it kind of took the sting away because i was like all right since like if i watched it while it aired i probably would have been a little bit more on the edge of my seat during the entire episode like what's going to happen next you know but because I knew there's going to be a season two and there's more seasons to come like i knew like her in quotations death wasn't going to stay like permanent so it 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 took away a little bit of like like the the climax of her dying, if that made sense.
1: So I get that. <clears throat> um, I, st- I even even knowing what I know, I still think it's interesting that they. I mean, it's your main character, your title character. They killed her off, and then she came. Whether knowing she comes back or not, the fact that she died. And then comes back, and then still saves the day. Is I thought I still think it's pretty cool.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think that the episode had its bright spots, and also it seemed fairly rushed in some res- in some respects. I, for me, like I was telling I was I was telling James and and everybody at Bill and Lisa that um, it's actually one of my favorite episodes. But I think it's one of my favorite episodes because I know it comes after the fact. And I know that, like, as the show progresses, it, it becomes kind of a more meaningful episode, in my opinion.
2: Yes. Um, right. And I, I got that on the second watch, right? Yeah. Because it, it ended the same way that I watched it the first time. I'm like, hmm. So I'm like... <laughs> I imagine when I saw you know you saw the skeleton there I imagine you know they're gonna take a bone and you know do a PBGB over it and bring something back to life so I mean that's I guess
3: that's like I guess like the it, it's like exciting like to think about like the like what's next because like I mean we saw a praying mantis monster hyenas a puppet a dream guy um primarily it was like focused around vampires. I wasn't here for a few episodes, so if there's other monsters I missed, um, you know, that's on me. But I am curious, like I will say like I'm not I didn't know 100 percent throwing on a towel, but I am kind of curious like where what's the direction of the show like next since the master is dead.
5: So I felt the same way, like watching the show. I, I personally, you know, really disliked season one um, between the dialogue and the pacing of the episodes. Um, You know, I was watching with my friend at the time and I said, you know, I'll give season two a try. And the show just improves exponentially from season two onward, in my opinion. And it gets a lot more serious like the dialogue gets a lot better the themes of the of the show and the episodes get a lot better so there's definitely a lot to look forward to um because season 1 is is one it's one of those shows where season 1 is definitely the worst whereas you know other shows like something like lost you know season 1's really good so this is definitely one of those shows where the first season sucks and then it just improves from here
2: right and that's what i kind of like spoil myself by just analyzing it and saying this show could not have lasted so many seasons if it was like season one. There's no way it could have lasted that long. So, oh, I imagine, yeah. So, I imagine that it's going to modernize itself, um, maybe get a little more dramatic, maybe get a little bit more, like you said, less goofy dialogue, uh, more serious um, villains than, you know, praying mantis teachers. <laughs> so. so, season yeah. one's
3: like, Oh, sorry. What we're going to say, oh,
5: Lisa, well, I'm just going to say, you know, it definitely gets creepier. It gets um much more serious and they really improve with their characterizations going forward. You know, it's so, like the first season. It's this whole I mean, I'm biased because I just hate Xander. But um,
1: a lot of people you
5: know, do. Right. But there's just this whole like oh is this going to be a love triangle like they didn't really know what to do with these characters you know Xander basically thinks he loves her because it's the only girl that gives him attention besides Willow and so you know like there's a it, it's very limited in characterization but then moving forward we see so much growth and, and so many new interesting characters added to the story that you know it, it just becomes so much more interesting and intricate
1: and I think one of the things and and we've kind of talked about this before on the on the show, um one of the things that they did in season one of this, um I believe Bill has referenced in the past how they did it with shows like fringe and and so on. And even if you go back and kind of critically look at lost to a certain perspective, they did it as well. They did a lot of um like standalone episodes. You know, and again, we've we've talked about this on on the podcast before where they did a lot of standalone episodes because that's what TV networks want. Right. is they want you to be able, they want viewers to be able to jump in at episode five without necessarily needing to see episodes one, two, three and four. And for the most part, you have that in season one. And then once a show gets going into season two or season three or what have you, it does start to become a lot more serialized now. I think this show balances very well um, as do some of my other favorite shows like lost. Uh, I think fringe does a good job with it for most of the seasons um, and, you know, several others where they, they kind of balance that serialized versus standalone case of the week monster of the week sort of thing in season one, like the, the, Serialized aspects were very much like the B or even maybe even the C plot of the episodes, whereas, it, you know, going forward, not to be too, you know, spoilerish, but a lot of the serialized stuff, a lot of the character interactions and things like that get moved to the forefront and not that the monsters, whether they be monster of the week or, you know, over the course of several episodes or what have you, not that they become lesser, but it does become sort of, I, I would even argue maybe 50, 50 Buffy and the gang saving the world versus Buffy and the gang just dealing with life in general, which you didn't have a whole lot of, in season one. There wasn't a whole lot of that. I mean, yeah, they would go to the bronze every so often. And, you know, there was like, you know, uh, Buffy went out on a date with the guy who was like super into, you know, fighting off the vampires and whatever. But we we don't really see too much of that because she doesn't, you know, she feels she can't date or whatever we see her pine after after angel we see xander pine after her and we see willow pine after xander but for the most part that's it we don't really see a whole lot of like their social lives and even with when it comes to cordelia and like her social life one of the only things we see consistently is that guys like her it's that's pretty much all that it is. It doesn't, there's no like substance there for the most part.
5: Yeah, that's a good word. No substance. I, I would have to agree with that.
3: So, season one is like lima beans, and the other seasons are like the meat potatoes.
1: Yes.
4: Yes. Well said. Well said.
1: Um. <laughs> So that being said, uh, of course, the main plot of the episode, just sort of going over it by bullet points, is that Giles figures out the the prophecy, which is that uh, Buffy will get led to the master by the anointed one and that she will die. Um, and again, yes, watching it back all of these years later, like James said, it. Does get spoiled for you the fact that not only do we know that there are obviously more seasons of this show, but that you know, like, obviously, episode two is or episode season two is like right there when you're you know, theoretically watching these, uh, you know, binging or or what have you. Um, so that may not be as impactful as it was, of course, when it first aired. I, like, I said, I still think it's kind of a cool thing how many shows. Kill their main character, even if even if they know they're going to bring them back. How, you know, not a lot of shows do that. like they're not so bold as to actually do that. Um as Lisa said, um Xander wants to take Buffy to the dance, uh, and she turns him down. Now, I have to say, um, I thought that scene in like the courtyard of the school was done very well I liked a lot of the camera work I like the fact that it was sort of uh, a wide shot on them with everyone walking around in the background because for Xander this is one of the most important moments in his relationship with Buffy where he's trot like he's he has pined after her this entire season he's made little comments here and there but here is where he is trying to take it to the next level Buffy kind of gets it at first, but she's still a little confused because he won't outright say it. But I, I like the concept of a shot, like a wide shot like that further back where it's the two of them, because for everyone else, it's just a normal day. They're all just walking around school. And I feel like we've all felt like that, right? Like we're, we're all the main characters in our own story. And there's a word, I can't remember what it is, but there's a word for that when you realize that every person that you've ever met is actually like dealing with their own things. They have their own uh, triumphs and tragedies and all of these things that you can't even necessarily comprehend because you're so focused on the fact that as selfish as it may sound, your world revolves around you. To the point where everyone's world revolves around them and I felt like that scene whether it was meant to be like that or whether I'm just looking too much into it that's what I got out of that scene is like for Xander this is like one of the key moments in his life and even for Buffy it's just sort of her turning him down and wanting to maintain the friendship. Not that that's not important, but it's not nearly as important as it is for him and for everyone else walking around that we see in the background, there is absolutely nothing going on there because they just do not care.
4: It's that moment of sheer vulnerability that you face when you open up to someone that you like in that way. And, um, and that, the fact that you feel so alone and isolated in a way, even though there's tons of people around you, and also you can kind of it it feels like everyone's eyes are on you in that moment. I think speaking for personal experience,
2: it you feels know that
4: way, but it's not.
2: I just can't take him seriously though. That's the problem. <laughs> like I don't I don't have any empathy for him for some reason because of that. <laughs> I, I'm very empathetic, I'm an empathetic person, but he's just a goofball. So he is.
5: His acting also is just, in my opinion, like like I think Sarah Michelle Gellar and Allison Hannigan are so such great actresses, and he's just even in this episode, like he's just not very good.
3: And I don't know if you guys watched it, but like Paul may get this reference. Although she let him down fairly, like like swiftly, in my mind, it kind of brought me back to like um and How I Met Your Mother when. Ted proposed to Stella and he's like, whenever you like ask a girl out or like, you know, there's a million things they can say. It's like, they can say like, no, they can laugh. And like, there's a million things that can be said and or done in that moment. So like, and kind of like saying like what, like Paul was like explaining, you know, and that moment of like his vulnerability, I'm sure like a million responses were going through his head. And it's like, when you think back to like, you know, each of us in like respective high schools, like whether it was a dance or like a date, like you go to ask your crush, like, you know, will you go out with me? Like, you kind of get like that, like, I, I like I hate watching scenes like this because like I get secondhand anxiety when I watch scenes like this. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, she's gonna say no and it's just not gonna be good. And I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna cringe because I'm gonna feel so bad for him. And um like when she said no and he's like, I don't deal with like rejection well and like he kind of like threw like the sly comment of like you know, I guess I got to be like dead, or I guess I got like had oh, the 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 comment he made in regards to like her wanting angel. I was like, oof, like, yeah. So
4: I, that was my, dickish.
1: It it was, but and I and I I don't I'm not going to speak for James Kiona or Bill. I am going to speak for myself. In the past, that is such a I want to say it's such a guy thing to do but again, I don't want to speak for for all guys or even the other guys that are in this chat, but you see that a lot on TV. I am guilty of that myself in the past where we, and it's not an excuse, but we as guys do have such a fragile ego. And when you make yourself vulnerable and you get turned down, you see it all the time, right? Like girls post pictures of their like their DMs, and like guy, you know, guys are like, "Oh my god, you're so beautiful. I want to take you out, whatever." And then they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, they're not. In- you know, I'm not interested." And it's like, "Oh well, you're probably a slut anyway, or you know, you're too fat. You know, go on uh. a diet, whatever." And like, it's so terrible. And I'm not. I'm not saying I was ever that bad. Like I, w- I, I mean, I was not. But that is generally speaking a such a guy thing to do and it's so horrible however and lisa i i get what you're saying i i don't disagree with nicholas brendan's acting one also not that it's an excuse again one also has to take into account that both allison hannigan and sarah michelle geller had been acting since they were like six years old and this was like her his first big role and i get that you should up your game if you're working with you know people like that but I felt in that moment, I thought the vulnerability, I kind of was like, yeah, I get it, whatever. But I thought in that moment where he does that, and then he tries to pass it off as like, oh, well, I don't handle rejection very well or whatever. I was like that, like that to me was probably one of the most realistic things because that does happen again, not all the time, but generally speaking, that is how that goes. She rejected me. So I'm going to do like James said, like a backhanded insult and then just be like, oh, sorry, I don't handle rejection. Well, and then run off because he doesn't know how he literally does not know how to handle rejection
5: oh 100 it was a very real reaction I'm sh- or it was very good acting because i'm sure he himself you know again i know not all men hashtag but that is something <laughs> i, didn't, I <laughs> didn't mean it to sound
4: like oh, that. <laughs> that is
5: that is that is something that you know <sighs> i've experienced and that everyone i know has experienced where you know you do your best to be as kind as you are and then it's like oh okay well you're fat and x y and z and it's like okay well you know like like I don't like Xander as a character, and that that interaction reminded me why I don't like him as a character. Personal.
3: And then, like, he tried to, like, go for, like, Willow as, like, second bait. Like, oh, like, maybe we mean, you can have fun. And it's, like, I was really, like, happy, and I was, like, good job, Willow, for, like, st- like sticking up for yourself because, I mean, oftentimes, I feel like a little bit more in, like, today's world, it's a little bit more, like, or. I've noticed, and I guess I'll do the same as Paul. I know not all women, but I notice like when it's in quotations, a triangle such as like theirs, usually the one who's been like after him the entire time will try to like glorify, like, I finally got him, so to speak. Whereas Willow was like, I know I don't want you because like, even though like I do want you, I don't want you knowing that you're going to like you consistently want someone else.
1: I don't want you this way.
3: Exactly. Like, I like that she stood up for herself in that manner and I was so glad she didn't just take like the quote unquote easy way out and like, at least I got the man I've been like going for, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, I actually I felt uncomfortable. I actually got cringed when he asked her. I was like, what are you? in? You know, that's just awful. See, now the funny
1: thing is, I didn't necessarily take it as he was asking her like, hey, be my date. I took it as not that it makes it okay anyway, but I took it as he was asking her like, hey, because like they would go to things as friends anyway. And we see that from the very first episode, right? Like Willow, like because Buffy thinks that they're dating and she's just like, oh, no, we've just been friends forever and whatnot. I took it as he was asking her like, hey, we'll go and we'll have fun or whatever. Not necessarily as a date, but just friends. And even in that way, she was just like, no, thanks, because I know I'm not the one you really want to be there with
5: well it's still sorry go ahead go ahead lisa no go ahead i, I was just gonna say it, it, to me it's still um it, it's still not nice because i mean i'm relating this from a personal experience but like for instance um i had a lot of guy friends in high school right like most of my friends were guys and when prom came around none of the guys asked me because they knew it would not get romantic at after prom so I was only asked when the people they wanted to be romantic with, um, so, you know, say it as nicely as possible, said no to them. So it's mm. like a punch in the face. It's like, oh, okay, so you forget I exist even though I'm some of your best... you know, I'm, I was some of these guys' best friends. But as soon as the girl that doesn't want to sleep with you says no, then all of a sudden I'm an option. So I related to that very... Yeah. Very, yeah. Uh,
4: yeah. It's... <sighs> oh god it's not fair is it i mean it's just it's a really bad look i think for for when guys do that in my opinion um like to speak to your point earlier lisa i i think i had this experience where you know i i was ready to ask uh uh, someone that i liked in high school out and um I could just tell where it was going. Like, she was being very, very nice and kind to me, and I could just tell that, like, the look on her face and everything. So, kind of just just stopped right there and just said, you know, I really like you, and then I saw her face, and I was like, as a friend. Because I could see where it was going, and I didn't want to put her in that position of, like, you know, having to say, like, what she was doing. But it's like, and I'm not saying, you know, that I'm not my own ego about this, but I'm just saying that like, sometimes you can tell and I think that, you know, especially when the person's trying to be nice to you, I don't think that you should slap back at them. Um, It it just feels wrong to me. And you know, and and then for him to ask Willow like that, it just, it felt a little bit unfair to me. It just, it insincere, I guess you could say. But, I mean, at the same time, I don't necessarily hate Xander. I just think that he's immature
1: I, I I would agree. I, I I think it's immature. And like i I had said before about how, you know, season two, we get into a lot more like substance and things. And again, I, i'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Xander myself. Yeah, I think he <laughs> is probably the most real in this episode. Again, that doesn't make what he did okay. But I do think that all of those those all of these things that we're talking about, I do think I mean, again, I was in I was in high school after this, but a lot of these things still happened even when I was in high school where, you know, you get rejected. You make a comment like again, you know, he made a comment to to Buffy, you know, and then whatever. And. It's, it's kind of funny how those things don't necessarily change. And again, that doesn't make it okay. Um, And I'm sure Bill and, and James are dealing with this with their kids now, you know, from both sides, James has boys, Bill has, has a young, a young woman in school. And I say young woman because she's probably more mature than all of us in this call.
2: <laughs> Sometimes I feel, yeah, even me. Yeah.
1: Um, sure. I'm, I'm sure she is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's – it's. I again, I thought that was probably the most real thing in this episode was his behavior that doesn't again that doesn't make it okay but to me it was probably one of the most real things in this whole episode in of course taking into account yes this is a fantasy world where you know fruit punch mouth vampire guy exists and you know, all <laughs> those sorts of things
4: <laughs> one of my favorite lines you have fruit punch mouth
1: and then oh. I just I love the fact that she then punches him um of course but uh yeah um trying to think what else major happens. We do get to find out in this episode and it was kind of hinted. It was either the out of mind out of sight episode or the nightmares episode. I think it was out of mind out of sight um when Angel saves uh Xander and Giles and and Willow in the the boiler room the yep. fact that he was able to do that because he doesn't have breath and therefore he was not able to save Buffy in this episode um, and the fact that Xander is the one that saves her and looking back now, knowing some of the things that we know based off of comments that were made and things like that. So for those unaware, Joss Whedon, the writer, creator of this series has said for better or worse, that Xander is somewhat based on him in high school, that immaturity that going out you know the, the 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 loser kid going after you know the the very pretty very popular girl things like that i'm shocked and shocked i know right and then the comments have since come out when people accused him of various indiscretions that he would basically make comments where you know Uh, How do I say it basically degrading the concept of the popular girls and, you know, they need to get taught a lesson and how he would allegedly try to use the show to do that sometimes and things like that. So looking back now, the fact that Xander is the one that revives Buffy makes a whole lot more sense. Right, because he is the hero in that moment, and her, Ugh. you know, quote unquote, knight in shining armor couldn't do it. So here comes Xander. He's gonna put his his bruised ego aside and still help and save her. And I used to not think of it that way, but now that's all I can think of after all of those those things came out.
5: Yeah. No, Women I know. Just think I that way in general. Just throwing that out there. Wait. Say that again. I said women. Like I feel like I didn't have to know all that to have that opinion. If that makes sense, like I didn't. I didn't have to know all that about Joss Whedon to have that feeling about that storyline with Xander.
4: Yeah. Get that.
1: Yeah. And that's and I and I'll admit that's probably my own naivete about it. You know, I never necessarily looked into it more than he's there, you know, and whatever. I didn't I never I and again, that's that's probably my own fault. But I never I never looked into it more than that. But knowing all of that now.
5: But it's also interesting because Buffy's really not popular per se. I mean, she's kind of the new girl in school. She's very beautiful, of course, but she's not exactly popular.
1: Well, I don't. I don't just mean that because obviously there's you, you, myself, and Kiona know some other things that happen in the future with regards yeah. to that. But yes, yes. yeah. Um. But uh, one of the other things that I did want to comment on because it was something I saw when I was looking up uh, little bits of trivia and things was that uh, it has been I want to say nine episodes. Since, uh, a, a, you know, since the episode, which and Cordelia now kind of knows how to drive, because, of course, in that episode, um, I believe, James, you were on that discussion. You, me and and my mother, I believe it was. And uh, she, fa- well, she went blind and she basically couldn't pass her her driving test. So I now. Remember. Uh, we, you know, we get to see that she, it, you know, it took her about nine episodes, but she kind of knows how to drive now.
3: <laughs> nine episodes later. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I will say, like, I'm not a like, I really don't care for Cordelia, uh, as much as others in this group. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> <laughs>
2: what are you talking about? What are you
3: talking about? <laughs> um, but I mean, you know. I feel like as the seasons will progress, like from her, like many interactions with this group, I feel like more likely by like next season, she's going to be a little bit more like closer with them. And we're going to get a little bit more from her in terms of interactions and from like the other podcasts that we've done, you know, I recall, you know, Paul saying like, oh, well, this is like one of the very few episodes where Cordelia wasn't in it. So I have a feeling this episode kind of like marks her territory in terms of being like officially a part of the clique, as well as like the other teacher who helped like exercise like the computer of the like of the computer demon thing.
1: Miss Calendar, yes. Yes. And I think um I think the previous episode to this and this episode um probably cement that for her because she does uh, if we remember the previous episode to this was Out of Mind, Out of Sight, where the girl kidnaps Cordelia. She, you know, Cordelia is about to be crowned uh, homecoming queen or something like that, and uh, they help her, and she. She even goes up to them at the end and was like, hey, thanks. And then, yes, there's that 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 little bit where the guy says, you know, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm not actually talking to them or whatever it is she says. And then she walks away. And I think between that episode and this episode, I would I would definitely say I don't think it's a it's a spoiler to say, yes, these are probably the two that do cement her as part of the group. However, I will go on to say that that sort of shows part of. I don't want to say why you need season one, but just to sort of get that because we've kind of been talking about it over the course of this season, right? How in episode one, she's like very friendly with Buffy at first because she thinks that she's going to be like that they're going to be best friends because Buffy is from L.A. And oh, my goodness, tell me all about it. And, you know, all these things. And then I even said that, you know, kind of when I go back and watch it, I kind of wonder sometimes why is she there? Because she doesn't really fit in with the group. And I had said that, you know, she's kind of like Buffy's shadow where she's sort of Buffy's former self, the, the Buffy that that. The the Buffy that was before she became the Slayer and whatnot, and it's it has taken just like it took Buffy this long to to, you know, finally come face to face with the master, not counting the nightmares episode. It took sort of this long for Cordelia to sort of come around in a way to accepting the group and accepting their their help and acknowledging that they can do things the fact one of the things that i actually thought of with regards to that is so cordelia's there with that guy the the guy that she's dating and she just says flat out oh hey willow and then she turns to that guy and says hey i'll talk to you a little later and she doesn't feel the need to explain why she's talking to Willow and that guide also doesn't question her as to why she's talking to Willow obviously she wants to use Willow for Willow's knowledge of like AV stuff but that's I, I felt maybe it's just me because I do like that character I felt that was like sort of a big a big turning point was there was no explanation as to why she needed to talk to that character it was just Hey, I need, you know, hey, Willow, I need to talk to you. Hey, guy I'm dating, I'll talk to you a little bit later or whatever. And that was it. It was just left just like that.
2: Right. But I think Cordelia is just that that even in just season one is just a trope of, you know, what happens in high school, you know, productions that, you know, screenplays and teledramas and movies where you have to have that mean girl in the high school story. Um, but I imagine over time that she'll soften a little bit, become part of the group, but she'll still have that snooty looking down a little bit. You know, it'll just, it, it'll come down a notch, I think, over the over the seasons to come. But it'll still be there, I think. I think that's just, like I said, the trope.
3: I think she'll probably get a little bit more comfortable with the gang. Um, I don't exactly see her, like saving as much quote-unquote face with everything i feel like she will i think she'll start to like in quotations like assimilate herself and to it all because there's even just realistically there's but so much you can kind of endure before you're like i mean you went blind like all these things keep happening in school like there's but so much you can like turn like a blind eye to until Uh. you start to like all right what's like what's going on it, it's it's always happening around like this small group of people and somehow i get wrapped into it like there's but so much you can kind of just ignore and stay like i'm popular i don't care like there's but so much you can take until like you have to acknowledge it and like all right like i need to figure out what's going on and like you know i helped this time so like what's next and i feel like that part of her helping and like everything that's been going on it does to a degree create like a thrill like when you accomplish like, all right, I'm being chased by these creatures or these men or whomever they were. And now like we quote unquote save the day. And like she was standing in this group of circle where like they all like save the world and like they're going to dance. So I feel like just kind of like you, I mean, I I, we, I have like the idea already she's going to join, but I feel like it's now going to look like, you know, I help save the world and I'm popular, but like, you know, I have a feeling it's, it's going to turn into like a, Is there more type of a thing since he's gone? I feel like season two, we'll probably get more interactions with her. Like, all right, what's next or what's going to happen now that he's gone? Like, I feel like she'll start talking to them more, but just and more so like the looking for like the next quote unquote like
1: mission. So two things. One, everyone rewind just a few seconds and take a drink every time James said but so much you could do or something like that. Um, <laughs> and point number two. Um, and I, like I said, I think, cause I kind of questioned it in the out of mind, out of sight episode, and maybe even an episode or two before that, where in the, like the first few episodes, she sort of has this thing where she, I want to say it's, uh, the harvest episode where she makes the comment, you know, afterwards, like, Oh, those guys must've been on drugs or whatever, because like that would explain why their faces were messed up. Obviously we know it's, it's vamp face and, you know, she doesn't want to admit it. And they even talk about the fact, I think Giles makes the comment that the human mind will always try to explain certain things away and what have you. And, for whatever reason, and there wasn't like a a dawning realization like there was, ironically enough for Willow and Zander like it, it, within the first like two, three episodes, Willow and Xander are kind of like, "Wait, what are you talking about? What do you mean there's monsters and so on and so forth. And then Cordelia, on the other hand, deals with almost all of the same things that the that the the core four, as they as they call them do in the first several episodes but she's obviously outside of that of that circle and then like I said by episode uh 11 I believe it is out of mind out of sight she just kind of accepts it and I even kind of questioned in that episode like why does she not have this moment and I think it was uh I think it was you folks who said like maybe she just kind of realizes like this is going on and she kind of had that that epiphany moment maybe off screen or or what you know because i think james even said it just now like you could only turn a blind eye for so long you know and it's just interesting to me how she comes to the realization of oh okay these things exist and these things are happening and she just kind of rolls with it whereas like i said in the in the um the first like two episodes three episodes uh, Xander and willow are kind of like wait what do you mean there's monsters and there's a hell mouth and you know all of these things
4: yeah it does seem like she's very adaptable or she's she's kind of becoming a more adaptive character as the series progresses and as the season progressed in, in season one um but
1: watch your tone I don't know, no I don't know how much
4: I can say I don't know how much <laughs> I can say about the, the I won't say anything <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything
1: um, but no I, I, I gotta say and I, I think I, I can speak for Kiona and Lisa on this I do like the fact that um Bill and James one I like the fact that you know you, you guys have given the show a chance throughout the first season even when it is kind of a slog to get through the fact that you're yeah. you know kind of in for what could potentially come next. And you're, you're taking our word for it, that, you know, it does get better. But I also like that you are kind of speculating as to, well, how will this dynamic be? And, you know, all of these sorts of things, because one of the things, almost every finale of this show, and I think more shows need to do this. And I've, I used to say that on lost with friends. Um, And I've said it on, on various TV shows that I talk about and things like that. I do truly think that more shows need to do this. I, I like the way that this finale ended. And like I said, they kind of wrote it that way so that it would be where if it was a series finale, it's a series finale, but it also leaves room for what could potentially come next. Right? Like, so we've waited all season for buffy to face the master all right maybe we were a little disappointed but we we know that even after that final battle there's room for whatever adventures might come next and not a lot of shows do that with their finales they will leave it on a cliffhanger or whatever and sometimes they get canceled And we all as you know, we I'm sure we all have at least one show that we can think of where that happened to us. Right. Where, you know, it was it was what a show we really liked. And it maybe maybe even lasted more than one season, maybe two or three or what have you. And then it ends on a cliffhanger because the writers don't want to admit that there is the possibility that it could get canceled. And then you never know what's going to happen and you might have to like read an article about it or watch a special feature on a DVD or what have you. And I I like that. And I will say for almost all of the seasons of this show, they sort of did that where each season sort of has a moment where if it ends, it ends. And if you, you know, say say James, Bill, you know, for example, we get through season two let's just say, and season two ends and you're like, listen, Paul, you know, I gave you the benefit of the doubt with season one and I went through season two and I, I, I just can't, you know, I can't go any further. It's, it's not really my thing, whatever you can, you can leave and for you, the show is over because that's it. The, the, you know, what happens is, is done but there is, for those of us who want to continue on, there there is the possibility for more stories.
2: Right. And I'll throw out my my sometimes controversial loss theory from season one that John Locke was smoky in Tabula Rasa. At the end of Tabula Rasa, and he has that sinister look with the sinister music, I think that was a season one thing where they didn't, you know, you don't know if it's going to be a season two, right? So I think they had that in their pocket to set up that he was smoky right there and then. Interesting. So Fabulous Rasa again. Yeah. If you watch that end, that ending always creeped me out where the camera kind of pans around to his creepy-looking face and that sinister synthesizer music. And, you know, because he went, whenever he got attacked by the boar or whatever, or no, when he saw the smoke monster, I believe he could have been smoky at that point. So speaking of lost.
1: I have a, a lost line set up here, and I'm hoping that someone will come through for me. Here we go. So it turns out they listen to Patsy Cline in Sunnydale. No?
2: No they takers? They didn't catch it.
1: They Well, when Xander is is in his room, because he says, he's like, I'm going to listen to country. Right? It's the pain. Yeah, the music of pain. And then when he's laying on his bed in his room, he's listening to I Fall to Pieces by Patsy Klein. And know. my brain immediately said, Oh, they listen to Patsy Klein in Sunnydale. And then the immediate follow up was, They listen to Patsy Klein everywhere. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I, I missed
4: did. that. I missed that in Lost. I'm sorry.
1: And did I hear
2: uh, did did I a I reference to Lacutus in Star Trek? Yes. Yes, you did. Yes, you Mark- did. Okay, cool. All right, I give him. I'll give him. I'll give him, uh, I'll give him a little kudos uh, <laughs> on that.
1: Um, one of the other things that I that I like is sort of a a cause and effect thing, and a lot of shows do this, and and I think Lost did it very well. I think in later seasons, um, parts of Buffy, and I, you know, spoiler alert, I will say, I think parts of Angel do it very well. Is the fact that um, the master when he finds like so Buffy gets the word she sees uh, Angel and Giles sort of talking about the fact that Buffy will die and they want to obviously they want to try to prevent this the the word it from the from the prophecy is that um, the the anointed one who they thought that Buffy had killed but it turns out is alive we knew that of course it's the little kid. But that the anointed one will lead her into hell and there she will like fall at the hands of the master, whatever the the exact wording is. So in her mind, she says, you know, she says to her mom, let's just go. Let's just go away for the weekend and, you know, whatever. And then she kind of goes on, you know, what they – what people refer to as like the goodbye tour, right? She goes to Willow and tells her, you know, whatever. And, you know, she sort of goes around and says like, theoretically what she thinks are going to be her goodbyes to everyone before she knows that she is going to meet what this prophecy has said is her ultimate fate. Go meet the master and die. And as we kind of find out later, I don't think this is a spoiler because they've kind of talked about it before. It's sort of the the Slayer thing, right? For Buffy, like there have been Slayers before. And obviously what has to happen for a Slayer before is that, you know, the the previous one died. That's, you know, Buffy was called and whatnot. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that this could and probably would theoretically happen to her. And so she she goes for right. She sees the kid and she, you know, the kid's like, oh, help me. And she's just like, I, I basically let's cut through all this BS. I know who you are. Let's just get this over with. And the master says something that I think is very interesting. And like I said, I think Lost did it very well. And I think some others have as well over the course of television. If she had just not gone with the kid, nothing would have happened. Right. I think the master says something along the lines of what the what the the either what she missed or what the prophecy didn't say was you're the one that lets me out. Basically the fact that by killing her, that's what frees him. So had she just, you know, it's a, it's a fate versus free will thing, right? Like had she not gone with the kid, then he would have just been stuck down there. Cause a prophecy could say whatever a prophecy is going to say, but the argument of fate versus free will comes in. And had she just not gone, then Nothing would have happened. All of these things, the earthquake, the uh, which I need to talk about that in a moment. Someone remind me. But the earthquake, the all the vampires coming and the, you know, the the monsters and and all of these things, you know, culminating in this apocalyptic event. And all she had to do theoretically was what she was trying to do with her mother, which was, hey, let's go away and realistically just stay in the library and read a book for instance and nothing would have happened
5: yeah but things were still happening you know prior to her going down there like they were saying all the weird things that were happening around sunnydale so would that have kept happening even if she you know if she didn't go down there to to fight him
1: i don't know i get what you're saying and i and i agree yeah like probably more things it would have just maybe like delayed her go you know would have been like well she's not going down today maybe she'll go down next week or whatever so let's let's keep throwing apocalyptic things out you know
5: right like Um, eventually she'd have to be like okay like we can't just keep like ignoring this like something has (laughs) to happen like there's what was there blood coming out of the the sink and all that stuff Blood
1: coming out of the sink. Uh, I do like a few of the things that Miss calendar reads out. A cat gave birth to a litter of snakes. Um, (laughs) A kid was, what was it? A baby was born with its eyes inside out or something. Eyes
4: facing inward. Yeah. Or something.
1: Okay. I don't know.
4: I don't know what that was.
1: There was another one. I can't remember what it was. Um, But the thing I wanted to talk about, about the earthquake, am I the only one? And maybe it's because I've seen it so many times, but even Bill, like you watch this episode twice. Am I the only one? that just like laughed because of how, childlike the master was what he's just like it's finally happening glory glory when the when the earthquake happens at the beginning i love it and he's just like he just seems so like childish and giddy whatever and then he just turns to the kid and he's like what do we think that was like a 5.1 like i just that is I... the
4: funniest freaking thing for me i don't know i just yeah. i laugh so hard
2: and i wasn't sure fire. if he was talking about the uh the, the measure of the earthquake or if it was like the ice skating score you know like the, the... <laughs> hold up the cards, you know,
1: 5.1. But I just every time, glory, glory.
4: <laughs> Mark Betcalf, that, that guy, I tell you, he's so underrated for his performance as the master,
1: I think in my opinion. He I really is. He really is.
5: So I just, what was I the can't, point? I
2: can't, oh, I'm sorry, Lisa, go ahead.
5: No, 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 go ahead.
2: No, I just can't. I just like quick. I just can't. It's still Niedermeyer from Animal House. <laughs> <laughs> the image out of my head. So. Pretty much.
5: <laughs> no, I was gonna say, and I feel like I read this like way back when I, you know, first watched the show. But there was really no point to the kid, um, because really anybody could have like held her hand and brought her down there, right?
1: Yeah. Yes, it, um, from what I understand, um, it was just supposed to be the concept of it was obviously supposed to be the the bait and switch in that, in the episode where the kid appeared, right? Because the concept in that episode, if I remember is the, they're on the bus and that uh, one guy is like spouting all of these, you know, Bible verses and like prophetical things and all whatever. And it's all supposed to be yeah. And so yeah. it's supposed to be like, oh, clearly this is the one that's going to be with, the 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 master and then it turns out that he actually he does get turned into a vampire and then he you know i I, kiona and i i remember we talked about it specifically i don't i i I know that you and i were on the obviously i was on the episode but i know you were on the episode kiona when we were talking about the fact Uh where he makes the comment where the the cross like he's like repelled by it. He's just like, why does he burden me? So, or something like that. He said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we just, what we laughed about that moments. for like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, um, so it's obviously supposed to be like the, the twist in that episode is that it's not this guy. We thought it was the whole time. Oh my goodness. It's the kid. And oh, the kid is so innocent and you know, whatever. And then, it does kind of go where the kid is just sort of sitting there, right? Like for several episodes, the kid just has nothing to do. Like the master just spouts out all of these words or whatever. And he's just like, oh, my young one, like I need to teach you and whatever. And then nothing really happens. And I think that based off of how the, the prophecy sort of sounds, at least in my opinion, it sounds like it was supposed to be because they they kind of relate it to to scripture right where um you know the i can't remember the the verse but they you know it talks about the 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 lamb will lie down with the lion and you know all of those things so i think it's supposed to be that she's supposed to be tricked by this kid and that's why he's there at first and he's just like oh help me help me but then in typical buffy the TV series and the character fashion. She sort of subverts that doesn't let him put on this whole performance that he, I guess it seems like he sort of planned out where, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to trick her and whatever. And she just kind of subverts that and is just like, yeah, no, I know who you are. Let's just get this over with.
5: Well, because she was told, right. That it would be a kid. So I, I just feel like, I don't know if they were planning on like you know, having him do more or a different storyline, but it just seems like a lot of wasted potential to like build this little character up. And then at the end of the day, he just like holds your hand and then disappears. Exactly. That, that makes me laugh every time too. I completely agree with, with
1: your, <laughs> I was kind of like thoughts.
3: hoping like maybe, or like, since you guys haven't been like leading in that direction, during in this conversation. Like maybe this kid will be like a better, a bigger factor in season two.
1: Maybe like, I don't want to spoil anything, James.
3: But I'm like, he kind of like, like you say, he just like fades away. And I'm like, so this kid like has been around for like six episodes and he does like nothing. Like I was very, like he was a disappointment. I was like, you should have just faded away in that car crash with everybody else because you did nothing. And <laughs> this like this episode, that was actually like worth you being here.
1: I, I do have to, to say though, based off of what Lisa said, The fact that he does kind of like, at least in this episode, James, I'll leave that as your cliffhanger Uh, in this episode. At least he does sort of just fade away because he doesn't even take her all the way. Right. He takes her to like the the and that's the other thing. Maybe it's just like a continuity error or just a change in sort of the the production of it or whatever. Every other time the like sewers and things and like one of the the doors off of the the crypt and whatever can lead to where the master is this time they just like walk down like a rock hill am i the only one that like thought that that was odd in comparison to previous times when we've been going down there it's a little weird so he gets her and he takes her maybe about three steps away from the camera. And he just sort of like in a cupped hand motion, just sort of like waves her through. And then she just kind of looks at him, looks that way. And then he just turns around and walks off.
3: You know what I, I didn't get or don't get as like where as like thinking about everything and like going back to this episode. They knew the master was down there. Angel also knew where the master was this entire time that he was not at full strength. Why did it take 12 episodes to not just cut to the chase and, like, listen, let's hit him while he's weak? Like, did anyone ever have that potential thought?
1: I think I could be mistaken. He wasn't at full strength, but he was still strong, right? But, I mean, it
0: it
3: took, like, a a feeble kick and, like, any old spike to kill him, so... Like, theoretically, it didn't take much to kill him while he was, like, still trapped, at least. They could have devised a plan to, like, even fight him in the barrier because, like, his movement was limited. And you have more people who can move freely than himself.
1: Yes. However, one, how do we know? Yes, Angel can sneak down there, but he was really only able to do that, like, once because Dar. I think Darla took him down there or something, and, like, whatever. But, like, he can really only do that, like, once or twice, because then they're on to him. And so then it becomes, well, how many people, people, vampires, whatever, how many, you know, underlings does he have down there? Can we take all of them out? Because even with Buffy's super strength and even Angel's super strength as a vampire, can they take out potentially his entire army down there? We don't know, because we don't know how many are down there. Two, he clearly has some sort of hypnosis power which kind of pisses me off because why did we only learn about that in this episode that was not established that I remember in any previous episode that he has like hypnosis and disappearing powers
4: yeah that was a little strange how that just came out (laughs) of left field for him I mean (laughs) like what is he like a force ghost all of a sudden
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is the last Jedi of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh boy. <laughs> Let's
4: not navigate that minefield.
1: Um but no, there they, I I don't disagree James, but I think it was just a matter of while down there he did so because even I think he even goes after a few of his own underlings right like doesn't he doesn't he sort of like beat them around while they're down there even though he has limited movement and he's weak he still is theoretically stronger than most of them and they're they seem to be able to go at least toe to toe with Buffy do you know what I mean so like if he if they're slightly less than Buffy and he's more than them it could be that he's equal to or you know, slightly stronger than Buffy, even in his weakened state. But again, I think it's a matter of they don't know where he is, except for Angel, of course. And I don't think Angel, again, this is all just speculation on my part. I don't think Angel wanted to lead her down there because as soon as they found out that she would go down there per the prophecy, that's why him and Giles are just like, we have to prevent this. We have to go down ourselves and and whatever. Because I don't think that Angel would have willingly led her down there.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about that. Um, I, I did find something about the Anointed uh, in, um, in a, a book that's called uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Myth, Metaphor, and Morality um, that was written by Mark Field, which I have mentioned on this podcast before. But like, so he basically focused on Buffy as like a very metaphorical show. And so for for him, the Anointed was a sort of, like, a vampire chosen one and, like, a perverted mirror image of Buffy and her her sort of, like, I guess her destiny in a way of, like, perpetual childhood, which I thought was an interesting take. Like, if the Master symbolizes everything wrong about adulthood, then the Anointed was, like a perpetual child who was always like fearful of like the future or something or like who thrived on that sort of feeling of of fear and like and hatred i guess but that's just one one author's opinion but i always found that kind of interesting um anyway i don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if that even made sense
1: (laughs) i like that actually yeah uh, its
4: it's 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 interesting to see like the different sort of takes and perspectives that you can find on on the show,
1: no, and I agree because like as as you myself and and probably Lisa all know, I don't know if if bill and and James know this. like this show, because of the the a lot of the feminist themes and, you know, a lot of the the different things the fact that a lot of the show is a metaphor for other things. Um, it's gone on. It's similar to other things in pop culture where you can, you know, depending on the university that you go to, you can take like literature classes. Like you could take like legitimate classes on this, whether it be about, you know, from like we said, from like a metaphorical or a theme perspective from a feminist perspective from even like a a screenwriting perspective, like there are so many different things that various college, just like, you know, you could take, you know, you could take college courses on, on Batman and things like that. This is one of those things that has sort of transcended pop culture in a way that a lot, like almost everyone has sort of a different interpretation. And unless someone like a Joss Whedon or, you know, someone like that flat out says, no, that's wrong. They can't tell you that your interpretation of something is wrong. Um, One of the other things that I, that I liked, uh, so we talked before about, um, about Xander's vulnerability with regards to, um, you know, putting himself out there for Buffy and then getting rejected by her and then getting rejected by Willow. Uh, Willow has, Allison Hannigan has, in addition to that scene where she, when we all sort of agree, you know, kudos to her for turning Xander down, even though this is the guy that she wants and she had the option to go to the dance with him, but she, you know, has the the foresight to say, not this way. There's another moment where her and Cordelia are heading down to the the AV room because the guy that Cordelia is dating or whatever didn't get the stuff that he was supposed to didn't meet her at the bronze to set up and whatnot. And she sees this scene where all of these kids have been killed and there's blood all over there's blood on the on the screen you know like a bloody handprint on the tv screen and um the was it looney tunes or something something more War- i think it's something warner brothers is playing on the tv yeah it
4: was it was like porky Pork Pork
1: yeah and she in that scene and then the 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 very next scene with her where she's sort of in her room talking about it I mean, I, I think, and I've said this long before we started this podcast, I think James could probably back me up with this. And I know this is one of the ways that that sort of Lisa and I became friends is just the fact that I think that Allison Hannigan is probably one of the best actresses ever, like ever. Yeah, I think, I think she in just about everything that I've ever seen her in, I, I, I can't think of anything offhand and and even if i sat and thought about it i probably can't think of many things where she hasn't made me believe or made me feel something and that's what an actor should do is even if it's even if it's hating them you know when you're supposed to hate them of course they've done their job and and she just does a fantastic job in those scenes of being vulnerable because just like we said it took, you know, Cordelia this many episodes to sort of come around to Buffy and her friends. And it's taken Buffy this long to sort of accept, you know, these things of I'm the Slayer and this is what I'm meant to do. And it's, you know, we could also talk about the fact that like it's taken Giles sort of this, this whole season to accept like I'm Buffy's watcher, but I can't necessarily interfere with whatever she's going to do we see that when she punches him in the face you know we have that to... was
4: hilarious by the way it was i, just, I love that moment i love how, how anthony stewart had just took that punch <laughs>
1: it was... um it
4: was just a master at physical comedy i love it
1: but we have to also remember that xander and willow and again i i, I think allison hannigan as willow does a much better job with it this is still new to them, right? Like as much as as much as all of this stuff is new to everyone, like obviously Buffy, before she came to Sunnydale, we saw in the first episode, she clearly knew what was up, right? She didn't want to see the vampire book that Giles presented to her. She talks about the fact that her her previous high school was burned down because there were vampires in the gym. So like, she knows what's up. She knows she's the slayer. You know, she knows what goes bump in the night. Giles obviously knows this as well. We, he talked about in a, in a previous episode, the fact that he was told from a very young age, you're going to be a watcher, you know, you need to train to then be able to train someone else and so on and so forth. Cordelia, it takes her the season to sort of get on board with there's something fishy going on here and and whatnot and even you know from the first episode first or second episode when when xander and willow have sort of this realization of wait you mean they all of these things are real i feel like it arguably took willow until this episode not saying she didn't know it but maybe she didn't realize how different it was or how intense it was until she saw the aftermath of this this scene in the av room because she says like they turned it into which i can't remember oh, what? she says i can't it was like the perfect line and i can't remember she says like they she, turned she
4: she said this was our world and they turned it into theirs
1: yes and just seeing even that bloody handprint and you know the porky pig and all of those dead kids whatever she plays that scene with such great vulnerability and no one has eyes and as, as big and vulnerable as Allison Hannigan in, in the history of ever. Um, true. <laughs> and that's, I think that's what, I think that's what gives it away every time. But I, I think that she was just brilliant in, in those scenes, just brilliant.
5: Well, well, yes, of course I agree with you. And I think it's also <laughs> that concept of, you know, when, bad and violent things are happening to other people, right? Like when there's wars, you know, happening in Ukraine or in these other areas, we could feel sad about it, but we can't really understand. And I think that scene, this scene really shows that, right? Where, yes, she has seen some of the things that have gone on to people she doesn't know. But then as soon as it happens on her turf, right? At the school with people she knows now it's a much more real situation because now she's thrown in the middle of it. And so I think it really shows that, you know, when things are happening to other people or when things are happening outside of our home turf, we could be upset about it, but we don't really understand and truly feel it until it's happening at home.
3: See, I'll I'll be the one, I'll be that guy um, who kind of questions it because it's like, did she not feel this way when the principal was like eaten by her classmates and potentially like her lover? No,
1: but because, excuse me, I don't, I, I think that's what I think that's what Lisa's saying, right? Is like, we, you know, we see all of these things, right? And uh, so just what, what Lisa said about, you know, what's going on in, in the Ukraine, we'll just use that as an example. I work with a young lady whose family, like she is from like spent the majority of her life. She's, she's in her, her mid twenties or so. And I think she spent like the first like 20 years of her life living in like Belarus and the Ukraine and like over in the, the eastern european side of things so she knows firsthand sort of what it's what it's like with vladimir putin trying to take over all of these places and things and i know I'm, i don't want to give too much away about her personal life but i know a few months ago she was trying to work as many hours as she could because and do and she has her own sort of side business that she does and she was like running herself down with trying to work as much as she could because she was trying to get money to send over there because some of her family were just living in the basements of people whether it was their own homes or just like other people because they had tried to run and people just said come stay with us and they just they needed money and so she was trying to get as much money as she could now do you, James, not feel sim? You, I'm sure you do feel sympathy for the people over in in. Well, again, we'll just say the Ukraine, just as a broad, uh, you know, thing that you know the Vladimir Putin is going after them and bombing them, and and cities are being cut off. I'm sure you do, but the fact that if I could introduce you to someone who has either been through that or their family is going through that, I'm sure it would impact you harder than it does just seeing it on the news and going, oh my goodness, that's so sad. Now you basically you put a face to it, which I think is what Lisa was alluding to. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa. But she you 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 kind of put a face to it. Right. It's it's like we see all of these things about like especially here in America, you know, school shootings and things like that. And you think, oh, that's so sad. But then if it happens in your town or, you know, maybe in your county or whatever, it's like, oh, my goodness, that could have been my school. And that could have been my child. That could have been my cousin. That could have been my niece, my nephew. And it becomes a lot more scary and a lot more real. It wasn't it, no. not that it wasn't real before, but it's even more real now. Is that basic? Correct me if I am wrong, Lisa. That's basically what you were saying,
5: right? But and also the fact that it's not. Oh, this could have happened in my hometown, or it, it's that it. You know, I I understand what James is saying, right? Where, you know, with the principal and everything, but I think more so that this just hits more at home i mean personally not not to, not to be mean like i didn't give a shit about my principal when i was in high school but i think it's like when you're with your friends and everything else and you see that happening and it's happening in your school you know i, I think it's i think it's just a different you know different experience
3: understandable uh, no it's definitely understandable I, I like listening like you know uh like, your point of view is, like, I I, I get it because she's, like, you know, that's, like, the, the classroom, like, you know, I always go to, like, potentially could have been me. Like, um, the reason, like, why I, I I proposed that rebuttal was because, like, although I don't remember which episode was, like, the hyena episode, but it's, like, and when I'm looking at it, like, outside in, and, like, I'm not as connected to the actress, Um like you were so or rather still is and potentially I don't know like how the story will end with these two, but you were so close to Xander, like they ate the principal, like that could have been you eating, you know? Like
5: Well, I think, you know, again, it's just like like I'm I'm thinking about like my high school experience, right? Like things could happen to people I know in high school and I can feel sad about it. But then once it happens, once I myself experience it directly. Like she experienced that directly, like she was like she saw the room, she saw everything that happened, she knew those people, I think it has that just added you know like p t s d with it
4: understandable yeah maybe maybe it was just like the the violence of the scene or or you know it it was kind of a i i feel like she felt like it was a a violation of her you know of Kind of like her space in a way, and maybe that just made it more real for her.
1: Maybe it would it would be um, this is not a good comparison because he actually even makes the comment towards the end of the episode. It would be like if someone destroyed the library, like that's Giles's space, you know. (laughs) It (laughs) really is is though. This is my turf, you know. And he actually even says that he's like, I'm I'm kind of sick of it. I don't want to be here anymore. But he mentioned the stacks.
4: Again, I was like, I, it just reminded me of of the nightmares episode where he was like, "I was lost in the stacks."
3: <laughs> I kind of wish that, like, although Giles is to train her and be, you know, like her, like God and everything like that, I kind of wish Giles was like, at least a little bit more helpful in terms of like some of the things that she's going through. Like, I know he like well before he got like knocked out, which was funny. Um, He's like, I'm going to fight the master for you. But, like, I wish Giles had, like, either special, like, weaponry um, or, like, a little bit more, like, in his arsenal aside from just, like, helpful knowledge.
1: Well, so, Nothing
3: that's bad, but, like, I feel like it'd be, he'd be a bigger help.
1: So two things on that. Um, and I think we've seen it somewhat in some of the episodes. It might just be what we think is, like, a throwaway scene here or there. He does train her. It's not just book knowledge. Like he does train her physically. Like we've seen, I think so far in the like in season one, we have seen scenes where they are uh, maybe not sparring like with boxing gloves, but like they have uh, I can't think of what they're called, but like this like the sticks, um, and they're they're sort of going after each other, and he is sort of training her in that way. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that that will play into it more. Obviously, as she progresses, she needs more training. Another aspect of it that it's not really touched on in season one as much. Again, please forgive me if, if we think this is too much of a spoiler. We do find out more about his history sort of being a watcher. And sort of what a watcher does, and there's a reason that it's called a watcher and not an assistant or a fighter or whatever, because as much as he wants this, and and Kiona and Lisa, stop me if I if you think I'm saying too much. As much as he theoretically wants to. Help her do all of those things to the point where he he sort of steps in in this episode and says, I'm going to go do it. He's not supposed to. And it's realistically, I would I would say by him saying that in this episode. In terms of what he is supposed to do as a watcher, it's almost an act of defiance in this episode when he says I'm going to go do this in certain ways we don't find out why or how until later but it is an act of defiance for him to basically say I'm going to put myself in this situation so that you don't have to did I give away I too much
5: no I think that no, was a perfect I mean illusion to what's to come.
3: I think like you didn't give up too much, but it's like, I mean, I am a very perceptive person, so I can kind of already like have an idea of like well what is to come and like with his role like being the watcher, although the term the watcher kind of sounds like a peeping Tom. But that's neither here nor there. Um but like I get it like everything is supposed to be left up to like the slayer. Um but I, I don't know I guess it's just my comparison or like my hope. That like, you know, there's, like, and, because most shows similar to this will have, like, some sort of, like, a team or, like, a group of friends. But, like, I just, like, I kind of thought, like, oh, with Childs being there, he'll be, like, the, like, her aide, like, who'll, like, be by her side, to, like, help her when, like, he's fighting. She has, like, high school friends, too, so it's, like, a group of them versus, like, the unknown because there's dog, well, Hyenas, praying mantis, vampires,
1: puppets. And And I think based off of what I alluded to, I think you are supposed to be thinking that. Like, obviously we have the knowledge that there are more seasons and they develop a lot of the mythology as the show goes, like we've sort of talked about in this episode and episodes past. Um, So if you did, like if you knew, okay, season two is coming up, like maybe you didn't know that there were as many seasons as there were, but I think you are sort of supposed to be supposed to be thinking that and having that idea of, well, why doesn't he help her more and, you know, whatever. Um, Just like, just like I said earlier, how I thought that, you know, I was kind of glad that you and bill were like oh i can't wait to see what happens which is what you're supposed to think but i'm also not gonna you know be there and be like well you know? <laughs> well <laughs>
4: Giles. Kind of funny. oh go ahead lisa
5: no, no no i was just gonna say you know uh with what James was saying about like the assistant or like the team or the duo like one thing about um Buffy that's really interesting is like trying to form a dynamic between a 16 year old valley girl and like a 40 year old British dude like it's just it's really funny when you think about it like if you were to put that on paper it just sounds funny like how do you get these two people to work together and relate to one another but I personally love their chemistry i think you know and like you said it just grows throughout this the series but it's a very interesting dynamic
2: yeah i look at it like it's more of like a, a mentor kind of thing you know kind of a, a almost a teacher student relationship right. right right
1: and the funny thing is um quick side note Bill, I was gonna, I was gonna make sure you were still there. I hadn't heard you in a little while. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm... here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, the the funny thing is how we kind of talked in some earlier episodes. Uh, I think it might have been like the first three or four before uh, Kiona and Bill and Lisa even joined on. Um, how there were some times within like those first two, three, maybe even four episodes where giles does some some things that if you know sort of like we said like a teacher a mentor sort of relationship and i don't think it's based off of what we saw in the in the nightmares episode and what we know about the fact you know this is a potential spoiler i don't think it's that far-fetched to to sort of piece this together but we know from episode one right that Buffy's mom and, you know, starting in episode one, we realize Buffy's mom and dad are not together. We see little bits and pieces of talk about dad and things like that. And then even in the nightmares episode, Buffy thinks that her parents can't be in the same room, you know, and, and, and mom is there, go, Joyce is there going, we can, you know, I can see him, like we could, you know, we can interact with each other and whatnot. And then she has, what we thought was probably one of the best scenes of the season. I think now that we've watched the entire season, I think we can say that that scene where, where, you know, Buffy and her dad are are on the bench um, and Sarah Michelle Geller is, has that vulnerability. Uh, I, I still think it's probably one of the best scenes of, of all of season one. Um, and he basically tells her like, I don't want anything to do with you and whatever, because that is, you know, Pretty much her nightmare is that, you know, dad doesn't want, you know, I'm the reason that mom and dad aren't together and he doesn't want anything to do with me and so on and so forth. We talked about that extensively in that episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. But I don't think it's too far fetched to say that with the concept like Bill and Lisa said about, you know, being like a mentor and whatnot, that she may either currently or in the future think of Giles sort of as a father figure. I don't think that's too far-fetched to say. I don't think that's too spoilery to say. It just it would fit, right? So um the fact that that that's there it's interesting sort of looking back if we if if you know talk thinking about like those first few episodes where he he gets very close to her and whatever and I remember when we were talking about it I think it was me James My mother and Ellsworth uh, on the first few episodes, again, maybe even getting into uh, episodes four and five and whatnot, where he does these sort of things where he leans into her just a little too close or he comes up behind her and whatnot. And by today's standards, we look at it and we go creepy that this man is like getting that close to her and whatnot but in in the time, I mean, I'm sure in the time people some people looked at it as being creepy or whatever. but, like, it's unfortunately just how it was. That doesn't make it okay. It's just how it was. But looking at it from the perspective of like father daughter dynamic, it makes it even weirder that he would, like be up close to her and and whatnot like that in
3: that sense, like, although like, like, because I, I was there, it was me, you, I think and your mom, I don't remember if Ellsworth was there or not I can't remember that far back Um, but I do remember how we were, like, you know, in today's society, those things wouldn't, like, have stood. but even if he, like, becomes the parental figure that she's looking for, um, which, I mean, you can, you can to a degree, you can kind of see, like, that's their, like, dynamic although, like, you know, prefer they're, like, more so, like, partner in quotations. Um you can kind of see that like he's there like like a mentor, you know? Um I wouldn't say that's it's too far off because like if he's if 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 as time progresses and he is to be looked closely or more so like a father figure, like, you know, the father is like a father is usually like overbearing and or embarrassing. And I feel like Giles has those characteristics of like the overbearing like dad he does People like yeah and like he he gives you like he kind of like as you as you mentioned it he kind of doesn't like that that dad five like he should yeah. be a dad but he isn't
4: well uh, especially like, especially in this episode too when you have um i wanted to talk about that scene where buffy just kind of you know she overhears angel and giles talking about her fate and about the prophecy and everything and she just kind of breaks down and has a, a a bit of a meltdown there. Uh, which I think is another contender for one of the best scenes of the season. In terms of Sarah Michelle keller's performance and in terms of how well yes. it, it plays out.
5: I completely agree. Her her acting in that scene was phenomenal.
4: It's gut wrenching. <laughs> it's
5: It is. It really is. and like you, you feel the weight of like you know i feel like a lot of times in movies and television shows you forget how young the characters are you know like, like for instance i'm a big hunger games fan but you forget like these are literally like children we're seeing you know slaughter each other to death and yeah it, it's yeah. similar with buffy where it's like you know holy shit this girl is 16 years old like what were we all doing at 16 like this poor girl is learning that she is basically prophesized to die at this age and i I think she perfectly captured the weight of that in her performance i
3: i was 50 50 during that whole scene and the reasons to why is because like at first like i was more so like you're the slayer like you had to know at some point death was on the table um well, like yes, but nine, wait, I'm,
1: I'm sorry to interrupt you, James, but realistically, we're humans and we all know that at some point death is on the table, but if we lived our lives like that every moment of every day, you know yeah. what I mean? Like things would be very different.
3: Well, no, what I was getting at is like, and like, I that's why I said I was like 50-50 in that episode because like, like Lisa said, you know, what were we doing at that age, you know, group and age bracket? Um, so like you do put yourself in that mindset of like you know well at 16 how was i but i also looked at it as like she's fought countless vampires went through burning buildings schools hexes and all that and to a degree it does like it is a bit of like a take back like she's this afraid of like death when like she faces death almost like to a degree every episode if that makes sense it's like in my mind i was like i i I, that's if that's why I said I was 50, fifty because I was like, you know, there's been a few episodes where like I was like, oh man, she might like bite the bullet this episode. So it's like you kind of interpret to a degree like she's okay with her role, but like in the other flip side, it's like you see like, all right, you know, she is still 50, like sixteen. she is still a kid, granted she's been in these life-threatening situations she still is afraid to die although for the past 11 episodes she's shown that she's been very like you know headstrong into danger type of a thing
5: you know i I think despite her being in those situations right like even when we're we're young right like if you think of how we all were as kids like we still think there's like this um what is it called?
1: Invincibility?
5: Invincible. There you go. Yes. You still think you're invincible, even though like, you know, in the back of your head, like, okay, if I do this, it could potentially, you know, something bad could happen. I think we still all have that invincible feeling. And I think because she was the slayer, she felt invincible, even though she was going into these situations that were obviously very dangerous. I think she still had this invincibility belief and and factor. And then went to be told like no like actually like you're not invincible like you are going to die i I think it you know just became all the more all the more real for her
1: and i think it also comes down to um like i said earlier about the concept of the prophecy and had she just not gone down there i think it's a fate versus free will thing right she goes out and she fights and Yeah, death is always, you know, sort of there in the back of her mind on the table. Now, I'm sure for Giles, it's probably a lot more in the forefront because he does worry about her. She is under his charge and, you know, whatnot. But for her, it's probably that invincibility thing like Lisa was just saying where it's like, you know, yeah, it's possible, but it's not probable. Whereas now it's been prophesied 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 it it has been part of a prophecy there we go where (laughs) it has been part of a prophecy where she is go this is this will happen and she will die and that's very different you know it's one of those things where people say you know if you it's it's sort of that what if thing if you could be told when you were going to die would you want to know and most people would say no, because as much as we know death is an inevitability, if we know when, we start to live the rest of our lives very, very differently.
4: And it's also the fact that they were whispering about it. Like they weren't being open and, and like telling her that this is the prophecy. They were actually, you know, two of her most trusted compatriots were like just keeping it from her. I think it also kind of factored into that. You know, she was angry. She was angry that they were keeping it from her.
1: Right. Um one of the other things that I wanted to uh mention was I really like the scene and we I feel like we've seen a few of them uh throughout season 1 but we got to see a, a nice scene between mom Joyce and Buffy where um, <laughs> Buffy is, that's this is the scene where she says, you know, let's just go away for the weekend and whatnot. And, you know, Joyce says, no, we can't. And then she reveals uh, that she got the dress and she says, you know, oh, the way you've been eating, we can, because obviously she makes comments about the fact that Buffy did barely ate any of her dinner and whatnot. And she she talks about the fact that she didn't want to go to her dance. And then she says, you know, oh, that's where I met your father. And then she does a very, very and I think we all have had this moment with our parents. And I would assume, James, Bill, being parents yourselves, I'm sure you've had this moment with your kids where you start to say something where it's like, oh, that's when such and such happened. And James, I know you and I relate to this just because of how many times we've watched How I Met Your Mother, where, you know, the the future Ted was just like, maybe I shouldn't be telling you this part of the story or whatever. And and mom sort of, you know, <laughs> turns it around as like, and that's a part of the story that you will not ever hear or whatever. Like she starts to say something and then she kind of like backpedals <laughs> where she's just like, yeah, you're actually not going to hear the rest of how that went down in terms of how uh, how Joyce met uh, Buffy's dad. <laughs> so um, I do I do really like that scene.
4: I love Christine Sutherland as Joyce. She's so good.
1: She is. Um, One of the other things I I wanted to to talk about, because I've kind of mentioned it here uh, a little bit in some of these episodes. This uh, episode got a 2.8 Nielsen rating in its initial uh, airing, which was on June 2nd, 1997, by the way. Um, and in some of the uh, reviews for it, uh, I'm just going to read right from Wikipedia here. Uh, Noel Murray of the, ooh, excuse me, of the AV Club gave Prophecy Girl a grade of A minus, describing it as quote a sterling example of how to write and direct this show unquote. He particularly praised the quieter moments between the characters ooh. and listed quote. The story feeling a little compressed, unquote, as his main qualm, which I believe both Bill and James mentioned earlier, how everything felt a little rushed. Um, <clears throat> Some Emily Vanderwerf, also of the AV Club, listed *Prophecy Girls*, *Prophecy Girl*, sorry, as one of the quote ten episodes that show how Buffy the Vampire Slayer blew up genre TV unquote writing that it gave quote a sense of the series at its early best unquote dvd talks (laughs) philip duncan described the episode as quote a neat and tidy close without much fanfare unquote and felt there was quote too much crammed into this episode as several plot points are struggled to be resolved unquote on the other hand a review from the bbc called it quote A very satisfying conclusion, unquote, highlighting the tone and the performances. Jarrett Weisselman, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that name incorrectly, of the New York Post listed the scene where Buffy says she quits being the Slayer as one of the top five moments of Geller as Buffy. And then the very last thing is that Joss Whedon himself even named Prophecy Girl as his 10th favorite episode, which should say a lot because I believe there's uh, between I don't know if it's just between Buffy and Angel or just Buffy itself, whatever there's in the Buffy verse, there's like 177, 175, something like that, hours of episodes. So uh, of the course of seven seasons of Buffy for this to be in the top 10 uh, of the creator, I think says quite a bit. Um, Personally, probably
4: just because of the Xander saving Buffy scene.
1: Yeah, of course. In retrospect, probably. (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) I'll Um, teach all those good-looking people a lesson.
1: (laughs) Angel's not going to save the day this time.
4: (laughs) Wow, that's so, like, petty. I don't know. He seems like kind of a petty
1: guy. He does. Um, Just speaking of him, because I do kind of do it in a lot of the episodes now. Uh, Our friend Kevin kind of got me into doing it with Lost with Friends. I do it with the Marvel show now, and now I do it here. This episode actually was written and directed by Joss Whedon, which I believe was his first time directing something that wasn't, I think he did like the test pilot, which is available. And I haven't, even though I shouldn't. Um, and maybe I can get some people to watch that and talk about that one day. It, it features someone else as Willow, not Alison Hannigan. Fun fact. Very
4: interesting. Very Yes.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Um, But, uh, I believe this was his first time ever directing. Of course, I said in the course of directing this one, he went back and directed certain scenes that were put into previous episodes, things like that. Um, but I would say, as a uh, first-time director, not a bad outing, even if the story was kind of truncated, as we said, to sort of uh, close out everything within the span of this, um, you know, forty-something-minute episode. Me personally, I can't necessarily think of anything else that I want to say in regards to Prophecy Girl. Bill, Kiona, James, Lisa, do we have anything else that we wanted to uh, highlight or critique or criticize about the episode? Yeah,
2: I think we covered it all pretty good. Looking forward to uh, seeing what season two brings.
5: I'm excited for you guys to watch season two and beyond because I just it's, it gets so much better. You guys are just in for a really fun ride.
4: I really agree with Lisa there. Yeah, it gets so much better. I'm excited.
3: Um, I mean, I, like I, I hope that it's good. Uh, that's all I'll say. You know, um, I'll give season two a good try. Um, Lisa spoke very highly of it, so I guess like only time will tell. You know.
1: I would have to say probably seasons 2 and 3 are my personal favorite of the show um that's that's my opinion and i think a lot of people tend to feel that way generally speaking um not to say that the future seasons are bad just you know my personal opinion um but uh i am so uh thankful that all of you were on this episode and took this journey Um, especially uh, Bill and James for giving it uh, a shot for season one. I know that this is something that I'm sure had I said anything to either of you probably a year ago, you probably wouldn't have necessarily been interested in. So Mm -hmm. uh, I do appreciate you both taking this journey. Uh, Kiona and Lisa, I appreciate you uh, jumping on these uh, episodes here and talking about a season that I think we can all agree – Is not the, especially the three of us can agree, is not the best of the show. Um, But I definitely do think that it has its place, even if, uh, you know, certain episodes when we rewatch it, generally speaking, we may skip over or what have you. Um, (laughs) I do think uh, for doing a show like this, you know, um, if we were doing a show where it was, or if we were just sort of talking about it, we would probably, of course, talk about like all of our key favorite episodes. Probably none of which would be in season one. Um, but uh, you know, going through doing a, a series like this, um, you know, obviously and getting to ex- basically experience it through uh James and Bill as sort of first timers. Um, I don't I I don't think I'm speaking out of term here when I when I say that uh all of us sort of enjoyed their takes on it in addition to going back and watching it for ourselves because at various times in our lives we all watched this um and we've all watched it to varying degrees I know for uh uh I know for Kiona and myself especially we have and and especially being uh let me Let me tiptoe this very being guys in a post me Too world and, you know, with everything that Joss Whedon said and did and all of those things, being big fans of his work. I know just based off of conversations that Kiona and I have had, it was a very difficult concept to think that we might watch this show again because we were such big fans of the show and big fans of the work. And now, at least for myself, seeing a lot of things differently. Now, Lisa, I know you said certain things from the female perspective you had always sort of seen. Um, But I know, again, not to not to fully speak for Kiona, but I know that we have sort of talked about in the past it it was a bit difficult to sort of even – conceptualize going back and watching it so i do appreciate the fact that kiona you have jumped on a lot of these episodes lisa that you uh were um on again knowing season one wasn't your favorite as well um but that you were on to to sort of come and give uh, a different perspective not only from watching it at a different period in your life but giving the female perspective and so much more that you obviously bring to all the shows and of course the willow love i think that's something we can all agree on the willow love the allison hannigan love absolutely um is right there um i
5: love love her so much i'm so excited to watch this again and and just see her brilliant acting she's just brilliant every time every time willow cries i cry
1: Mm, yeah you didn't have to sound so happy about that (laughs) kiona
4: Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. I You're just, like mm, that's yeah Same, same is what I'm saying. Same. <laughs> that totally came out wrong.
1: I'm only I'm only teasing you, bud. Um
0: yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate She's it. Vulnerable appreciate. rubs hands together. Season. I
2: appreciate
4: the teasing. I no, I mean I just I I love willow so much it just came out that way. <laughs> um
1: well, no, we all know it's it's Buffy and Sarah Michelle Geller You love that way, um, that way, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I do. But, yeah, ahead.
4: no, I mean i i i i totally uh, appreciate what you're saying, especially about season one, because like I said before uh, in the past on the podcast, um, season one is kind of I kind of skip over it every time I rewatch it, but it was nice to go back and take a look at those early episodes and see building blocks of the show.
1: I agree. Um once again, I thank you all for being on. I also thank uh even though they couldn't make it this evening, um Ellsworth and Ruth for being on in some of the early ones. Um I do have plans uh potentially for those two to come back in the future if timing and schedules allow it. Um so I do thank all of you who have been on season one and anyone listening out there for going through this journey, whether you're listening because you like the stuff that we do here at Clock Clockshelves, uh, whether you uh, came over from uh, Kiona's renegade pop culture, um, whether you're uh, fans or friends of Bill, Lisa and James and the various things that they do, both in real life and on social media. However you found us, however you gave us a shot, I greatly appreciate it. Um, there are, of course, plans for season two because we can't just. Even though the show this episode acted as a series finale, this podcast episode is not a series finale. So please make sure you join us uh, when we start season two. We hope you had a fantastic time and you come back for more Buffyverse and. Conf- oh wait, I forgot the whole social media thing that I normally do. Oh my goodness, I am doing a terrible job as a host. Um, yes, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Can't believe I forgot one of the most important things because they just said about what you do on social media. So, Bill, Kiona, James, Lisa, please, before we get out of here and I do the official wrap up because that wasn't it. That was just a tease, of course. Uh, let them know where they can find you all across the Internet.
2: Yeah, I'm just Bill Carver on uh, Facebook Instagram and uh, Twitter.
3: Um, you can find me, uh, Jameson Taylor. On Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, Jamerson496, and Twitch um, is BLKBAST29.
4: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Keona Tang, that's K E O N A T A N G, and also you can check out what uh, my friends and I are doing at RenegadePopCulture.com.
5: And you can find me, Lisa, on Twitter at Bevil and Deadly. Of course, for myself,
1: I can't believe that I forgot all that. I am very embarrassed. Um, you could find me personally on uh, JPGRB on Twitter and Instagram. You can find more about all of us at clock shelves. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, content club is patreon.com slash clockshelves, clockshelves.com. I'm going to try to be redoing the website. Uh, yeah. So now all of that said, um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do come back uh, for season two of Buffyverse, con- Buffyverse and Converse, if I could even get the name of the damn show correct. Wow. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, start
4: saying that every single episode now.
1: <laughs> I do hope. Uh, the cult, the running joke. I do hope that you all had a fantastic time and that you join us next time. Thank you for a great season one, great conversations, and so much more. And talk to you next time, everybody. Take care. Bye.